Uh, we're going to be in a unique place today. I uh, put a lot of pressure on what I would call mile marker moments. Uh, it's a time where you slow down and you kind of look at where God has brought you. You may not be where you thought you'd be. It may not look the way that you thought it would look. But nonetheless, it's that moment where you kind of just slow down and reflectively go, man, God's been good. Uh, and I don't want to miss all the good things God has done while I'm awaiting the future work of what God will do in my life. And so we want to be a people of praise. We want to be a people of honor. And I think anniversaries and holiday seasons are times where we can have mile marker moments to slow down and thank God for what he's done before we push forward into what he will do next. And so uh, I, I call it bathing the church. I spent a, probably about four hours this week, not making that up, just prayer walk in this place, uh, asking God to move. And the good thing was there were a lot of people out of the office, so I got the space to myself, which means it got extra weird. Because I had to worry about freaking somebody out. You know, like, why is this weirdo in the hallway laying down face down praying? Like, no, one, no one's here. I mean, it, it just didn't matter. And I prayed and prayed. And I wrote about 11 sermons, none of which I'm going to preach today. <laughs> At the end of it, I felt the Lord walk me through some scripture and with conviction, because this does not happen often. I am a, I like to prep. I've got an outline for where I feel like the Lord is leading us, and I'm praying, and it's open to his direction and leadership for the next year plus. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Acts in the new year as we go through that entire book. We started that several weeks ago and spent seven weeks there. So I love prepping and getting ahead and uh, just kind of working through the word and wrestling in it and allowing it to root deep within me before I preach and deliver it. But today is not that day. Today is the day where I wrote down four scriptures, felt the Lord say, that's it, go. And, and here we go. So I want to today talk to you about who we are, what we exist to do, and how Christ is inviting us to do it together. I want to talk to you about who we are, what we exist to do, and what Christ is inviting us to do together. At Four Points Church, and hopefully at any Christian church around here, but we are putting an emphasis on it here, we are seeking to live lives that prioritize Jesus over everything. That may seem simple, but it is very complex, because it is easy to let a lot of things get in the way of Jesus being everything. It's easy for a lot of things that are good things to become God things and to sit in his seat on his throne in a position in our lives that they cannot provide for us in the unique way that only Jesus can. And so we want to live lives that in the action, in the prioritization, in our pursuits, declare daily that Jesus is first. That we're not people of self-improvement, but we're people of Jesus' transformation. That we're not people of self-righteousness, but we're people who are becoming, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus' righteousness. We're not people of selfish ways, but we are people that are walking in Jesus' ways. Which is why we gladly and boldly proclaim what Paul wrote to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said these famous words, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the ambition of the Christian, that Christ would live, that Christ would be known, that Christ would be made famous through our lives. Now, let me be very clear. This is not a statement that Paul's life is a memorial to a dead God. 
It's not a statement that Paul is living a life in honor of a great sacrifice that Jesus did. No, it's a statement that states that Jesus is present in Paul's life. And instead of living as if he's not there, Paul has decided to prioritize a life that acknowledges Jesus in every step and at every turn. For him, every moment is about Jesus. Every situation is an opportunity for Jesus' glory to be seen, to be experienced, to be felt. You see, you and I, and I say this frequently to us, but I want to make sure you understand it, have been uniquely designed as image bearers of God. You may not be a believer in Jesus Christ. You may be a skeptic. You may be a person with questions. But the thing that we believe foundationally about you that makes you valuable to us is that you have been designed by a creator that loves you and created you in his image and sent his son to redeem and save you from the very path that you walk in and of yourself. So we believe that you're valuable. We believe that you have a purpose. We believe that God cares. And it's not something that he shouts from a distance, but it's something he gives with his very presence. You see, God demonstrates his love for us, not in a way of shouting from the sky, but coming and walking amongst us. He's Emmanuel. He's the God who empathizes with our state and with our challenges because he faced every temptation we faced, yet he did not fail. Therefore, he can be called the all-sufficient Savior who is capable of being your good shepherd in every season of your life. And this is Jesus' invitation that you and I would take him by the hand every single day, taking up our cross and dying to the way that we used to live so that now we can live the way that Jesus has called us to live, that we are empowered by his spirit to go after now that we have relationship with him. See, for Paul, it was about Jesus. Every word he spoke was about Jesus. Every ministry he was a part of was about Jesus. His church planning efforts were about Jesus. His preaching was about Jesus. His power pointed to Jesus. And at the end of the day, if you go to this church, we want you to know that our ambition and our goal is that your life would be in every aspect about Jesus. That's who we are. Now a year ago, uh, Davin Acker got up on this stage and said, The new senior pastor at Four Points Church is this barefoot weirdo that's been preaching Psalm 23 for the last four weeks to us. And I walked up on stage for the first time with this new calling and mantle to be a shepherd amongst you. And I made some commitments to you and I laid some challenges out to us. The first commitment was that I will be the lead repenter of Four Points Church. What does that mean? You will not find me to be the superhero of my illustrations or stories, but you will find me to be someone who is desperately clinging to Christ, understanding my uh, need for his constant grace, and knowing that I'm going to continue to fall short and need that grace on an ongoing basis. See, y'all don't need grace. I need grace. We need grace. It's not that you're jacked up and you did stuff that dishonored God that needed grace this week. I did jacked up stuff and I need grace and that's not smoke that I'm blowing at you. I'm just a beggar who's found bread and I'm trying to tell other beggars how to find bread. And so it's it's, it's my job to demonstrate to you that broken people can be near Jesus and God can use them in powerful and great ways. But on, on top of that, I challenged you a year ago. And some of you were here for it. There were about um, half of what's here now. And on that day, I said, here's the deal. In 365 days, we're going to be standing at this moment. And my ambition and goal through everything that I do to help and assist in the work of God in your life is that your relationship with God a year from today, in comparison to what it is back a year ago, 
would be significantly different. That God in his lordship and leadership will have seized the reins of your mind, of your tongue, and of your hands, and of your hearts in a way that will lead you to look back and go, man, I may not be where I thought I would be today, but man, I am not where I used to be then. Amen? Amen? This is my goal and my hope for you. You see, we as a people are waging war against ourselves, falling into a cultural faith, falling into an apathetic faith, or a man-made faith that is bordered by our comfort and will not allow the Holy Spirit to come and break down the walls to lead us into the calling that he has called us to. You see, because we have experienced Christ, because we have experienced through Christ a spirit-filled faith, God has grown this church in significant ways. We've seen people baptized and lives changed and marriages saved. We've seen people forgive what is unforgivable and held them down in bitterness for years. We've seen God lead us to our neighborhoods and our community. And we've made an impact this year because the Spirit of God is with us and on us and leading us and sending us into a real and vibrant faith that's making a difference like light when it hits the dark. And today, as the pastor of this group, I want to be a little foolish and just remind you of what we're here to do. The Apostle Paul wrote, wrote a letter in 1 Corinthians to a very broken and weird church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Now some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, he keeps going. It's, when you struggle to understand what it means, my encouragement to you is keep reading. As the scripture says, this is him quoting the Old Testament when you see that in the New Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So you're like, oh, that's what it means. It means he takes people in weird shirts that are barefoot. <laughs> you're going with him, huh, God? Okay, l l look at what it says. So where does this lead the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. How? Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. All right, let me pause there and come back to it. Let's read that line again. Will never come to know him through what? Human wisdom. You don't reason God. God reveals himself to you. Your reasoning. Like, like people are like, I found Jesus on aisle three of Bilo behind the church. No, you didn't. You didn't find Jesus. He has revealed himself to us. Romans says he's revealed himself to us in all of creation, yet many look at creation. Instead of honoring God, we take what's been created by God and we worship it in place of God. So you've all given, been given the ability to experience creation in some way. Uh, if you look into science and study, I mean, your skin's being held together by little crosses called laminin. He's marked you with his message. This is the way God does. 700 years in advance of his cross that he would carry, he predicted in detail the death he would die. That's Isaiah chapter 53. Some theologians call it the fifth gospel because of how detailed it is into the life that the Messiah would live and the death in which he would die. And 700 plus years in advance, he said to Satan, this is what I'm going to do and you can't stop me. Even with a few hundred years of prep, you will not impede or stop the work that I'm going to do, even though you will try and at times think that you're succeeding in that effort. 
See, it's not through human wisdom that we come to salvation. And it doesn't mean that people who have salvation are ignorant. It means that they've experienced and encountered the reigning and living present God. You see, this is the thing I I, I hate that we can get into in our cultural systems in church, especially in America, is we can get into a system that talks about a God that we don't actually want to encounter. But what we want to prioritize at this church and what we want you to prioritize in your life is the fact that Jesus is actually there. He's he's near, like he's in you, at work through you by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of it, he's transforming you and changing you. And he has empowered you with spiritual gifts and discernment and wisdom that comes from the Spirit on high to give you eyes to see the world differently, to empower you to impact the world for his kingdom and his name in a way that you could not do apart from him. So we don't talk about a God that's not present. We talk about a God that we've met. I love what Peter says in the book of Acts whenever he's confronted and they tell him to shut up about Jesus. You know what he says? I can't stop talking about what I've seen. He doesn't say, I can't stop talking about what I know. He just simply says, look, I'm Peter. I chop ears off. I cuss out girls over burning barrels. And this Savior won't stop showing up on beaches and calling me home. He was dead. Now he's alive. I can't stop talking about him. I'm convinced that why many of us are silent in our faith is because we've never actually encountered him. We've heard about him. We've just never met him. Heard stories about what he did in 66 in the Jesus movement in California with the hippies. But we've never experienced it. See, Jesus eliminates this wisdom by bringing in himself in a way that confounds the wise. And this is how it plays out. It is foolish to the Jews, this ethnic group that was in the Bible, who asked for signs from heaven. What do they want? Another sign. When Jesus feeds 5,000 people, okay, walks on water and ends up on the other side of it. All the Jewish leaders run around to the other side, and their first words to Jesus after feeding 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves is, what sign will you show us to prove that you're the living God? Some of you are like that. You've forgotten more miracles than some will ever experience. You're the people who get healed and you never turn back to say thanks. You never mark the moment so that it's a reminder of your faith so that you can operate by what God has called us to operate by predominantly in this life. And that is faith in what we've yet to see based on the character of what we have seen in God. See, faith is not wishy-washy, case sera sera. Faith is I've got enough evidence off of what God has done to in this moment where I'm being told in my flesh to doubt that he'll do it again, to say, I doubt you doubts, not I doubt you God, because of what you've done. And instead, I'm going to keep trusting that God's at work in it, even though I can't sense or figure out what he's doing in it at this moment in my life. That's faith. See, they should have come around going, you are God. You fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. Where are you going? What are you doing? And can we come? But instead it is, give me another sign and then maybe. Give me another sign and then maybe I'll trust you. Give me another sign and then maybe I'll turn to you. Give me another sign. And for some of you, that's all you've been doing. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. And, and you've yet to realize the greatest sign he's given you perhaps is the one that you dismiss the most. And it's the foolishness of the cross. Look, look at what he goes on to say. And it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Well, let's, let's figure out how to systematically break this down. Okay, 
So you're God, and you're the God of gods, and you're over all these gods. So all these gods bow to you, and these may be demon gods. So how does that work? Let's theologically break it down. So soteriologically, that would mean that uh, you lived a perfect life so that you could die a substitutionary atoning death to lay down your life in our place. Now, th- these things are good, but if this is in your mind, like I'm going to rationalize this out and then come to a point of going, he must be the son of God because I'm so wise. Let me go ahead and help you understand, Thunder. <laughs> if we were to draw a massive circle, okay, you see that circle? All right. I watched Elvis. <laughs> and that's everything that can be known. You see that? Everything that can be known. Okay. Now go ahead and draw your line on how much you know. Oh, don't be prideful in the presence of God. Go ahead, draw your line. How much of that circle are you taking up? Of I, I know all that. So, so why would God limit you getting to know him based on the limited amount that you can know? I hope you find him. For a lot of you, I mean, if you're from Reedville or Sugar Tit, I mean, there's a lot to, to go still. <laughs> Through in Common Core, everyone went, whoop! I mean, like, it got worse. See, Greek philosophers, they sit around and pontificate all day. They think if we just discuss this and have enough talks, that we'll figure it out. No, no, no. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended because they want another sign. Not a suffering servant, not a suffering Savior, but a conquering Savior. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes into his hometown, and they hand him the scroll in the temple to teach. And they hand him the scroll in Isaiah. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the captives. Now, if you read what he's quoting in Isaiah, he doesn't quote the whole thing. He only quotes the parts about hope and love and offering his hand. He leaves off judgment. Why? Because Jesus was coming to offer hope and love before he comes back in judgment. It wasn't the time of judgment. It was the time of grace. So he quotes the part of Isaiah that prophesies of what he would come to do. And now we know, based off of his words, that he's returning. And when he's returning, it's not to smoke a peace pipe, sit around in a circle and sing Kumbaya. He's going to have tattooed on his leg, King of kings and Lord of lords, and out of his mouth will be the sword of truth, and he'll divide those who are in Christ apart from those who are apart from Christ. But God's desire is that in this season of grace that you and I, in spite of our inabilities to perceive and conceive and understand him, would come to conviction of walking and knowing and loving him together. So when we preach Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended because they want a sign. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. They say it's all nonsense. Now I want you to see the the foolishness of that. The foolishness of it is this, that we would preach a sermon and lives would be changed forever. I mean, think about all the ways that God could reach someone. But let me ask this. If you're a follower of Jesus, how many of you became a follower of Jesus after hearing a sermon? Throw your hand up in the air. How many of you came to Jesus after hearing someone share the gospel of Jesus with you? Throw your hand up in the air. So someone spoke of this faith, and your life was changed by what you heard and received through faith. 
See, this is confounding because for many of us, we want a sign. For many of us, we want a clear, bulleted explanation that lays out every detail of the universe to us so that we can walk in it. But instead, Paul lays down that it's foolishness to preach, but this is how God has chosen to do it. And he's taken a group of a few hundred in Acts, and he's drawn it to a few billion now that profess to be followers of Jesus around the world. So he would come to a book called Romans, which was a divided church that was having trouble because they were culturally and ethnically diverse. Because someone sat in their Baptist seats whenever the Jews were expelled from Rome. And then they came back to Rome to find that there were Gentiles sitting in their seats and they weren't acting Jewish enough. So Paul writes an entire letter. And he's got to attack the problem of disunity that has struck the church. So in the middle of figuring out how to attack it, he doesn't give them a systematic analysis of a theological explanation of God. (laughs) And he doesn't give them a sign. Instead, he starts his letter in Romans 1, 16. Some of you who are rap fans know 116. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the... What's he going to stand on? What's he going to hope in? What's he going to bank his existence on and the unity of this church and the reconciliation of this church on? He's banking it on the gospel. Now, I bring that up because there are a lot of you who have been saved long enough to get over it. And you've got a perception of Jesus that you figured him out. Oh, don't you know he's a lion? He's good, but he's not safe, y'all. And there's nothing predictable about what God does with the surrendered life. You want to adventure? Follow Jesus. You want to make a difference? Follow Jesus. You want peace? Follow Jesus. You want satisfaction? Follow Jesus. Are you lonely? Follow Jesus. Are you divided? Follow Jesus. Jesus. Are you bitter? Follow Jesus. Are you suffering? Follow Jesus. See, isn't it foolish for me to just think that Jesus is the solution to every issue that's in this room? Maybe. But can I give you a little testimony? He's been the solution to every need I've ever had. And there's been no paycheck, no other human relationship, No size house, no clean car, no organized life, no balanced budget, no growing savings account that has ever done for me what Jesus can do. And Paul is saying to the church, our only hope here is that you realize the good news. You see, the good news is not something... That you hear, you pray, you get saved, and then you leave into deeper things. Because some of you are like, I want deep stuff. No, you're dumb if you say that. And let me tell you why. Because depth is not measured by systematic theology that you can pound out. James says, let's not be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Right now, you only believe the parts of the Bible you do. 
So how much do you really believe? By that standard, you only believe the parts of the Bible you do. How much do you really believe, church? Do you believe he's all-sufficient, capable and able in every season and circumstance? Do you believe he's really working that for good? Do you really believe it's about him and for him and to him and through him? Is he really your beginning? Is he really the Savior and Lord and leader? Is he the one in whom you've put your trust? I can go on all day. I don't have any notes. (laughs) We only believe the parts of the Bible we do. And Paul says, look, look, look. This is about a relationship that you take up daily. Not about a theology that you nailed down in a seminary. That's a tool and a means, but it is not the end of your growth. It is a means for your growth. You're tracking with me. So it gets to the end of 1 Corinthians. I think I'll land here and invite some of you to come get baptized. He ends 1 Corinthians, this broken, dysfunctional church. I mean, they're doing it all wrong. We've done a lot wrong in the first year. But when I read Corinthians, I get encouraged. (laughs) That was a pastor joke that no one got. He ends 1 Corinthians with this. Look at what he says about the gospel. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the So apparently the gospel is not something we leave, but it's something that we weekly need to be reminded of. A buddy of mine calls it re-gospeling. Why do we go to church? To re-gospel? Why? Because you need to know that it's not of your effort that's made you approvable to God. Because some of you have come in self-deceived, self-righteous, and you don't really think that you're that desperate for him because you, you know, did a mostly good job. You were sub five swear words. That's a good week. You need to be reminded that it's by grace, not effort. You need to be reminded that it's because of the gospel, not effort. You need to be reminded that your identity is not something you earn, it is received. That's the gospel, not your effort. You're not making something of yourself, he's making something in you that's changing you. See, I've got to be reminded. You need to be reminded that this is not a one-time message for salvation, but it is the very message that propels us into every day that we have after the point of salvation. You see, it's the good news that I preached to you before. It was delivered by preaching. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. And it's the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Look at what he goes on to say. I passed on to you what was most important. We talked about this last week. The Lord gives uh, two things that are marked of a great life, the great commandment and the great commission. We have the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But there is a first commandment that comes before the second commandment, and many of us like to fulfill the second commandment before we fulfill the first commandment. That's a problem. Because at the end of the day, It's out of a love of God that we do anything that we do for God, or it's not actually for him at all. And so the the text says, I want to remind you of what's 
most important. There's a lot of things that are important, but let me remind you what's most important. Yes, we need to work through our differences. Yes, unity will be a challenge. Yes, there will come times where we'll we'll be tempted to be bitter or doubt or go through seasons of circumstances in the deepest of valleys where we cry out to God and we feel like he's not hearing us and he's not near to us. But let me remind you in all of those moments and all those seasons of what's most important, what you need to go back to when you got nothing else, what you need to get foundationally a touch with when everything else is shaken in your foundation, that is that Christ died for our sins. What does it mean? It means it's paid. It means it's done. It means it was enough. It means that you don't have to make up for what you've not done this week or this last year or the places in which you've fallen short. It means Jesus was sufficient to make payment for you. He died. What is it going to say? What's this good news? Just as the scripture said, he was buried... So it wasn't like he was knocked out. You don't get like partially knocked out in a crucifixion. Like that, that doesn't happen. A professional Roman ex- uh, executioner uh, not only whipped him with a flag of nine tails, they paraded him through the street, his heart beating to keep blood going to the members of his body. He then was hung naked on a cross for several hours. He was jeered at, sped upon, and when they came by him, uh, they pierced his side and it flowed with blood and water. They did an autopsy on A&E, and other doctors have done this in the uh, past, not just TV shows, but I just tend to watch TV more than that. And uh, in the autopsy, they said literally they believe Jesus' heart burst. To make payment for you. To die for you. To lay down this life for you. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said. This is the message we live from. Not just that we're saved by. We live from it. We're reminded of it. We move on it. We act in faith from it. That if the grave cannot hold him and he is with us, what's going to stand against you that he will not overcome? See, some of you today are bringing the size of your problems into your view, and as a result of it, it's blocking you from seeing the size of your God. What I encourage you to do with this reminding of the gospel is to bring the size of your God to the problem because there's nothing that can stand or triumph over him when he's already come overcome the grave. So in just a few minutes, there's three people that came planned to pre- profess their faith publicly to you. And they're going to get changed and come in and be baptized. But there are a few of you here that came to church on our 11-year anniversary because, you know, you heard that it would be fun or, you know, the barefoot guy was going to jump around a little bit and get excited. He might jump in the baptistry because, you know, the Spirit hits him. Who knows? There might be a money cannon. There's not. Cool idea. Maybe next year. Write that down, Austin. Money cannon. What we have to give, what we offer you, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He loves you. He has made arrangements for your arrival. And if you have never received him, we invite you today, because of his grace, through a statement of faith, to ask him to come in and be your Lord and leader. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to give your life to Jesus today, not to make a spectacle of it, Would you pray this prayer with faith and conviction? 
to him. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. I have fallen short. I have made mistakes. I have asked for signs. I have tried to reason. But in hearing, I believe you died for my sin. I believe you were buried. And I believe you were raised in victory. So I ask now that you would forgive me of my sin and deliver me from the person that I've been. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and be my Lord and leader. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer in faith to God, we believe that Jesus has saved you. I'd love to celebrate with you. So if you did, would you boldly just throw your hand up in the air and say, Pastor Day, I've decided to follow Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. With every eye up, here's the deal. We've got some people that are going to get baptized. We're going to celebrate in our service doing that. We've got a lot to thank God for. I want to welcome another brother to the faith who raised his hand acknowledging that he's decided to follow Jesus. The people that are coming to be baptized have made the decision to ask Jesus to be their Lord and their leader. They now are going public with that. The change has already happened. It's just them throwing a celebration and obedience in their next step. If you need to be baptized, if that's your next step and you've never done it, after making the decision to follow Christ, we have shorts and shirts and towels and everything you need to look dry and great whenever you go out to your lunch. So... If you'll head to the back, we've got a group of people that'll be there to answer questions. We're going to have our prayer team come to the front to pray with you as we respond. But let's sing and celebrate all he has done and what he is getting ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen.